started this morning with a, a question for all of us, a question that in our present cultural context, uh, none of us should quickly move past. And the question is this, do you truly know something of the nearness of Christ in your life? Another way to ask it, would you describe your relationship with Jesus Christ as intimate, closely acquainted, and personal? Right? We, we wake up daily to a society in which the pace of life is, is ever increasing. The average response to the how you doing question, just really busy right now. Life's crazy, got a lot going on in this season of, of life. Which in all honesty, it, when, when does that ever stop? When does the answer to that question become something different for most of us? This season of life, it, it eventually slowly but surely becomes the entirety of our life, right? A season that, that we talk as though will soon come to an end and yet it, it never seems to. There's a reason for the phrase, there aren't enough hours in the day. And even if there were more hours added to this ticking clock of our lives, would we honestly slow down? Or would we just simply add more things to the to-do list? Maybe check our digital devices more frequently than we already do. How many of us truly know something of the nearness of Christ in our lives? This morning, to use the language of verse 42, Jesus invites us to choose the good portion the one thing that's necessary as we sit yet again with one of the more well-known stories in scripture. But as you just heard me pray, a story that I think many of us know intellectually, many of us know biblically. Again, we could write the devotional on it and pass it off to someone else. But for how many of us has this story truly taken deep root in our lives? If you pick it up in verse 38, Luke tells us, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, uh, him into her house. Right, this story takes place right on the heels, going back to last week, of Jesus sharing the parable of the Good Samaritan with the lawyer. Think about that as we work our way through this morning's passage. It matters where this is placed in Luke's gospel account. We're, we're told that Jesus uh, enters a village on the journey to Jerusalem, where he encounters a family, some of his either present or soon to be dearest friends, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus. It's the same Lazarus whom Jesus uh, would go on to weep over before famously raising him from the dead. John 11, son of man. He may, may have not had a place to lay his head oftentimes, but not in this village. Every time he came to this village, he had a place to stay, met with open arms, Martha welcoming him into her house. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, my, my guess is going back to last week that many of us understand the scandal associated with Jesus making a Samaritan the hero of his most recent parable. Having become acquainted, most of us, with the nature of the relationship between Jews and Samaritans in Jesus's day. It might, however, come as a surprise to some to know that there's, there's something just as scandalous taking place here in the home of Martha. I'll spare you the crass statements made about women among later writings within Jewish tradition. You can go read those on your own time. Suffice it to say that while women were not forbidden to receive instruction in the Torah, it was incredibly unusual in first century Palestine for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi. 
Mary takes on the posture of a disciple sitting at the feet of the rabbi Jesus. And Jesus, though countercultural at the time, what she's doing, it's good with it. He's great with it, in fact. Scandalous. This story, and going back to last week where we were in the scriptures, is just as much about Jesus' kingdom overcoming traditional cultural barriers as it is Martha's doing versus Mary's being. Mary does the, the culturally unexpected thing in positioning herself at the feet of Jesus. Like the woman going back to chapter seven who sacrificed her alabaster flask of perfumed oil in the anointing of Jesus' feet. She's one of, of many examples of women who had received forgiveness and healing and had devoted their lives to Jesus and his mission. Here Luke shows us something of the beauty of the gospel the inauguration of Jesus's kingdom overcoming traditional cultural barriers. And not only do Samaritans, Luke tells us, have a place at the table going back to last week, but here we see women affirmed in the redemptive plan and work of God. It's the systematic theology chapter on the Imago Dei. Luke's made it plain to us from the beginning. It was Elizabeth who trusted God in her barrenness for a son. It was Mary who humbly submitted to the will of God in her bearing of the Messiah. It was Anna who fasted and prayed in the temple night and day in eager expectation of God's redemption. The women have been an inaugural part of the the church every step of the way, called and, and gifted in unique ways to participate in Jesus's kingdom work. Going back to last week, if I could just contrast it for a second, we saw a man well-versed in the law, abandoned the posture of a disciple in standing up to put Jesus to the test. Here, we see a woman without any formal training in the law whatsoever assume the posture of a disciple in sitting at the feet of the rabbi Jesus. You gotta love the dawning of the kingdom of God. Luke goes on to tell us, verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Right, Jesus is here. The linens, they've got to be washed. The house tidied up. A run to the local market to buy some some food for an unexpected dinner. The cooking of the meal, the setting of the table. Some of you, you're like, I run in Martha's lane. I get it. Right, the problem is not Martha's desire to serve the Lord with her hands. That's not the issue. I mean, after all, we just heard Jesus express the beauty of a servant's heart in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The problem is what's going on inside of Martha. Luke tells us she's distracted, drawn away from Jesus by the many things that need to get done. And maybe to her own dismay, right? We don't give Martha a lot of credit when we read this story, but perhaps she was catching pieces of Jesus' teaching on her way in and out of that room, wanting to be at his feet herself, all the while overwhelmed with a to-do list as Mary sits there offering no help whatsoever, crossing cultural barriers that she had no business crossing in Martha's mind. Right, you can just picture Martha. Maybe you've been Martha a time or two, right? The shoulder shrug, what are we doing? Eventually the stink eye. Till eventually her frustration grows to the point where she can't contain herself. Something has to be said because out of the the overflow of the heart, the mouth must speak. Which is why Luke goes on to tell us 
And she, Martha, went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha not only expresses her frustration with Mary, but with Jesus, the enabler himself. Addressing him as Lord, mind you, only then to rebuke him. Lord, do you not care? Self-sacrifice giving way to self-pity, self-pity eventually giving way to resentment. Why am I the one doing all the work here? See it in the church all the time, that this mindset that, that everyone should be serving Jesus the same way we are. Resentment creeping in when people don't embrace our ministry initiatives with the same passion and commitment that we do. It's what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. When our doing for Christ comes at the expense of our abiding in Christ. And if our eyes aren't fixed on, on Jesus, they've got to be fixed somewhere. Whether in the mirror at our own perceived righteousness or, or on others who fail to measure up to our expectations. And we soon find that we're not really serving Jesus at all, but rather ourselves. And more than that, as if that wasn't convicting enough, frustrated that Jesus won't serve us, that he won't get on board with our kingdom agenda. Martha rebukes Jesus in a moment of frustration in the midst of her resentment. How does Jesus respond? But the Lord answered her, verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. For those of us who find this morning's passage at all convicting, we should be overwhelmingly encouraged and grateful by Jesus' response here. This is the perfect moment for an Aslan-like roar to remind Martha of who the Lord is in this scenario. And yet Jesus responds, Martha, Martha. An expression in the writing of Jesus' day of tenderness and personal affection. You're worried about many things. Some of us, we can just stop there. You just hear Jesus. Put your name in the blank there. You're worried about many things. You're being pulled in a thousand different directions. All the while missing the one thing. Me. Being with me. Learning from me. Not only is it possible to busy ourselves so that we know little to nothing of the nearness of Christ in our lives, but it's possible even to, to busy ourselves doing things for Christ all the while missing Christ. Jesus says famously, John 15, verses four and five, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Coming back to the earlier question, are you abiding in Jesus and his word? Do you truly know something of the nearness of Christ in your life? It's the greatest gift of the gospel. 
not rescue from hell, not escape of guilt, the gift of God himself. Mary giving us a picture of the one thing that's necessary, sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ and learning from him, abiding in Christ, abiding in his word. Mary has chosen the good portion, Jesus says. This is really cool, nerd out kind of literary stuff here. there's There's a double meaning to that word portion in the context of where this story is situated in Luke's gospel account, and it's pretty incredible. For one, remember how the previous story began? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The word inherit there meaning to acquire that which is apportioned. What must I do to acquire the apportionment of eternal life? The very next story that follows, Mary is happy to sit in the presence of the greatest portion or inheritance of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see this kind of language in the Old Testament in a couple of places. Psalm chapter 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you, Lord. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my, here it is, portion forever. Or how about Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord, here it is, is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The lawyer's question, going back to last week, had to do with the obtaining of eternal life. Whereas Mary's presence at the feet of Jesus has to do with the obtaining of Christ. The Lord is my portion, my treasured possession. The words of a true disciple. The word portion in one sense, giving way to the imagery of an inheritance. But there's a second meaning, a second word picture in another sense, giving way to the imagery of a meal, a portion of food, a seat at the table. In the words of one commentator, and don't miss this, while Martha was preparing a banquet, Mary was already having one. She was feasting on the word of Christ. Luke's been doing this for chapters now. You remember the party at Levi's house, chapter five, where the Pharisees asked Jesus why his disciples didn't fast? Jesus' response, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, Jesus says, and then they will fast in those days. Heaven's king was standing right in front of them, just as he was right in front of Martha. The bridegroom is here, I'm here. Perhaps we need to hear those words ourselves this morning. I'm right here. I'm right in front of you. Don't miss me in the midst of all the distractions. Here's the beautiful outworking of abiding in Christ and his word. Check this out. As it pertains to Mary and Martha, Martha would go on to make one of the, the two great confessions of Jesus in the wake of her brother's death. 
acknowledging Jesus as the resurrection and the life, John 11, declaring him to be the Christ, the Son of God, having come into the world. Mary would go on to anoint Jesus for his burial, grabbing hold of of the very thing the disciples struggled to embrace all the way up to chapter 24, namely Christ crucified. Both Martha's confession and Mary's act of worship, the outworking of abiding in Jesus and his word. Mary grabbing hold of the crucifixion, Martha declaring the resurrection You have the essence of the glory of the gospel that comes out of sitting at the feet of Jesus, abiding in his presence, abiding in his word. And we're invited into the very same thing, to abide in Christ. Do you truly know something of the nearness of Jesus in your life? He's purchased that for us. It's the greatest gift of salvation. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know Jesus Christ. There's one thing that can't be taken from us. Jesus. So I would exhort you to rest in his grace, to learn from his word, to dwell in his presence, to loiter there a bit. And to watch what Jesus does in your life, just like he did in the lives of Martha and Mary as he brings forth the fruit that comes in abiding in him. Something vastly different from the anxiousness about many things and the distraction that comes in the alternative. Philip Ryken in his commentary, he says, Jesus is the perfect antidote for all the unattractive attitudes that poison our service when we turn our attention away from him. His gospel is the cure for our distraction as we are drawn to the beauty of his grace. His peace is the cure for our anxiety as we trust him through the worries of life. His love is the cure for our self-pity as we forget ourselves in serving others for his sake. His mercy is the cure for our resentment as we offer others the same forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. This is the good portion, he says, that God offers to Mary's and Martha's everywhere. Jesus himself in all his grace. There's work to be done for the sake of Christ, but not at the expense of knowing Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm incredibly grateful for this rhythm we call the Lord's Day gathering of the saints. Because if I'm honest, I struggle to slow down for the other Six days and 22 and a half hours, whatever it is, outside of spaces like these. And so the Lord is kind in allowing an opportunity to come in and to pause and to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from his word, to pause with the bread and the cup in front of us, the Lord's supper, our portion, The bread representing the broken body of Jesus, the cup representing his shed blood, an opportunity to slow down, to stop even, to acknowledge, to rest in his finished work. If you're a Christian, that meal is for you. We're gonna participate in that uh, just a few minutes from now over the course of these last few songs. Whenever you're ready to receive of the bread and the cup, you're welcome to do so if you missed it on your way in. There are communion cups on the back table. Again, coming back to 
the language of this morning's passage as, as we prepare to worship through our song, through the receiving of the elements. I just encourage you to put your name in the blank there where you hear Jesus crying out, Martha, Martha. Just hear him calling out to you. You're anxious about many things, but you need not be because the one necessary thing is right here for the taking. Me. Intimacy with me. Knowing me. Me.